doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. Welcome to Michael Myers Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. Minute 66, Interior, Wallace Kitchen, Night. The French doors are open. Bob Sims, a good-looking 17-year-old, investigates. The script has him going to the French doors after saying Paul's name. As minute 66 begins, he is already at the door. Bob. Paul? The script has Bob's POV, backyard. The yard is empty, just the wind blowing the trees. Remember, there is wind all over the script, because like the wind, the shape is a force of nature. He doesn't notice the breathing, but we probably do. He turns from the door and closes it. Turns to the doors on the left. Bob. Linda, you asshole. He opens one of the doors and second eight. Nothing inside. Actually, there looks to be... Is that clothing? Are these doors where the washer and dryer are at 1542? If you haven't been keeping up, the interior of the shed was his associate producer Cool Lesby's house. Possibly in her kitchen. This kitchen, and probably the exterior of the shed, are at 1542 Orange Grove in Hollywood. The back room in the house where I grew up had these barely in place doors to hide the washer and dryer to. I don't know what they're called. They're like bifold doors hanging on these little rails. Although we never had them shut because there was always dirty laundry sitting in front of them because we were a very large family and there was always stuff that needed washed. Come to think of it, the laundry closet in this apartment where I live now, has tracks for hanging by full doors. But the modern washer and dryer we have are too deep for them. So there's no doors. I assume they're in the storage room of the garage. I don't remember if we removed those when we moved in, or just opted out of them being put... What was I talking about? Oh yeah, second ten. Bob shuts the doors on the left and turns to look behind him. Second eleven. I guess he does hear the breathing. Bob. Okay, Linda, come on out. He steps to the other door and opens it. Second fifteen. Right behind the door stands the sheep wearing the rubber mask, the script says. But we don't really see Michael standing there. Despite the scripted description, it's too dark and his reaction is too fast. He steps out and grabs Bob around the neck in an instantaneous lunge. We get a musical stinger. The script says Bob tries to jump away, but the shape has a firm hold on his neck. Bob coughs and gags from pressure. Doesn't quite go that far. Michael's got the... I was going to say upper hand, but that's not very nice when he's actually using his hand. Bob doesn't have a shot here. Second 16, Bob hits the closed doors on the left, and Michael's asthma kicks in. You should really see a doctor about that. There's... One not too many blocks away that could maybe recommend a specialist. Despite a few scripted shot changes, this has been one continuous shot so far, but second 17, close on Bob. Michael's hand at his throat. Bob struggles, but doesn't make much noise. Second 20, we're back to a two-shot. Despite his ragged breathing, Michael doesn't look like he's struggling. Second 22, close on Bob again. He makes some noise this time. He was really looking forward to those peanuts and some of Annie's weed and more peanuts and sex with Linda and Annie and... Maybe Lindsay, and maybe Paul. Second 25, close on Michael, and a different musical stinger hits. Michael's arm starts to go up before second 27. Close on Bob, then the shape lifts Bob up off the floor. 
Bob's head rises toward the top of those folding wood doors. Second 29, angle on Bob's feet. Bob's feet leave the floor. Second 31, angle on Bob's face. He makes a guttural sound deep in his throat as the shape's hand closes tightly around his windpipe. Second 34, angle on shape. The script here is interesting. It says behind the mask are two burning eyes. In the film, Michael is barely edge-lit from outside the French doors, and his eye sockets are basically black. And says the shape moves forward. This is when, in the script, he slams Bob against the wall. In the movie, he's already got him against the wall. In the novelization, Bob actually hits Michael. Uh, it says, quote, the, the man took the blow full on the face, but it didn't phase him. The shape lifts his other hand, it holds the butcher knife, and that knife comes up fast. Second 35, close on Bob, he's still struggling. Second 37, angle on the shape, the shape drives the knife deeply into Bob's chest with a slamming thud, the other end of the knife stuck through the wall. Well, we won't get that just yet. Second 38, close on Bob as his struggling ends. Michael's breathing evens out. Bob's body goes slightly limp. Second 47, angle on Bob's feet going limp, still several inches off the ground. And you know what I'm appreciating on this close-up? It's this big, iconic scene, right? And I'm noticing, instead, that the wood doors are scuffed and the floor isn't clean. Because all too often in Hollywood, the easiest way to maintain continuity is to have every bathroom and kitchen spotless until the plot says otherwise. Aside from the angles of some couches and chairs, these houses in this movie feel lived in. The awkward track lighting above the short desk by the oven feels like something no one would ever build into a set. New medicine by the stove feels less like set dressing, more like someone who lived in this actual house in 1978 made a habit of taking their medication when they were cooking. This dirty kitchen floor, when I pause to type some notes, it's real. And we missed an IMDb goof for this scene. Not the obvious one, yet. At around one hour, six minutes, a boom mic is visible at the top of the screen when Michael stabs Bob. It shines light off and is clearly visible, killing some tension in the moment. This one's weird. The only time there's any bit of light above the action during the struggle, second 17, it looks like it's more likely to be the top edge of the door, and is definitely not clearly visible as a boom mic. Closer to the end of the minute, as we get the wider shot of Michael staring at Bob pinned to the wall, there is some of the track lighting visible above Michael. This is what I have assumed people thought was a boom mic. But the track lighting was visible earlier in the film when the kitchen wasn't dark. Also, there is no light shining on it, and the tension, and Bob, has already been killed. Second 52. We get the shot from the refrigerator. The iconic moment. From the script. Then the shape steps away. Bob hangs there, impaled on the wall. Eyes still open in horror. Dead. Michael tilts his head to the right, the left, to the right again. And the minute ends. The head tilt was Nick Castle's idea, according to John Carpenter. And another IMDb goof time. <laughs> we all know what's coming. At around one hour six minutes, when Michael stabs Bob with the butcher knife, the knife goes all the way through Bob and into the wall. However, the knife is barely even long enough to go entirely through Bob's body, if at all, much less the additional length required for it to be deep enough in the wall to hold up his weight. It's in, like, storytelling in, like, Dungeons and & Dragons and elsewhere, there's this thing called the rule of cool. Like, never mind the rules if the thing the player wants to do is awesome and clever. Bob's body nailed to the wall is awesome. This is a scene everyone remembers. You need an explanation? You nitpicky IMDb goof writing person? Michael's knives can magically extend as necessary using Thorncolt magic. There, explained away. 
In terms of reality, yeah, the butcher knife here is supposedly 17 and a half inches long, at least an officially licensed custom version is. It's about five and a half inches of handle and 12 inch blades. So while it could get through Bob, you wouldn't see a few inches of blade in the entire handle as you do. So yeah, the goof is right, but damn it if Michael's standing there staring at Bob with the glint off the blade that you see sticking out still isn't one of the most evocative scenes in this movie. At age 40, when I met uh, John Michael Graham, he told me about the harness he wore to hang on the door. He'd been told it could only be in the harness for two minutes before it would start to crush him. Uh, whether or not that was true, in the moment he believed it. So when asked at the panel later at the convention what was going through his head as Nick Castle was doing the head tilt thing, John says he was too worried about getting out of the harness to notice. But the other age 40 thing with John was that I suggested that maybe Michael didn't stab through him into the wall, but instead hit a rib with the knife, and it was actually a broken rib bent backward that penetrated the wall. Which in retrospect doesn't make that much sense either, but John liked the idea. Also, this isn't the only time Michael will pin someone to a wall. In Halloween 4, Michael will pin Kelly to a wall using a shotgun, which definitely has length, though he stabs it upward and really should just fall right back down with the weight of Kelly's body. Although I think we cut away before we see her pinned to the wall, or do we see her again later? I can't remember. It's been a while since I watched 4. Halloween 6, John Strode is pinned to a fuse box with something. I don't remember if we see what he stabs him with. And is electrocuted as well because he's an ass and he needs overkill. And Jamie Lloyd, depending on which version you watch, is impaled on some farm equipment. But not really a wall. In Halloween Resurrection, Rudy gets stabbed with a knife and is pinned to the wall. Then just to make it more secure, probably because Michael's been on IMDb and seen the Goose page. Wait, did IMDb exist at that time? IMDb might not have existed yet. I don't know. But he's seen some, he's seen like Thumb Flubs books, talking about how the length of the knife, and so he gets his second knife from the drawer and stabs it into Rudy again. Just, you know, keep him in place. Also, if we're going to call every little variation in a location or every little thing we don't like a goof or a plot hole, how about the kitchen chair, huh? There's a desk on the other side of the stacked ovens, and there was a chair there early in the film. As I previewed in minute 50, it's gone now. Where'd it go, nitpicky IMDb goof writer person? Why don't you add that one to your goof list? Or, you realize that when something isn't on screen, when we've cut to other characters or other locations, things can change. Bob can go outside and close his dad's van's door. Annie can straighten up the living room and turn off the TV when she goes back for the bowl of popcorn last seen in the kitchen. Vans can come from California. Psychotic forces of nature who steal clothes from random mechanics can take the time to repair their stolen vehicle's broken window. Clothing, leaves, lighting, rearview mirrors, these all can shift between takes. And there can be palm trees in the fictional town of Haddonfield because Marshall hadn't planted them in 1886 after a trip to California. Check the fucking Halloween wiki or read all the novels and comics and you'd know that. Except I just made up that palm tree bit. But you know what? If you've got a problem with there being palm trees in the background, don't see any movies ever that don't film in the exact locations where they are set because you're going to be pretty fucking disappointed. This is a low-budget, seat-of-their-pants production with barely three weeks of shooting. You want perfection? That is all for Minute 66. Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stalk me on Twitter and Facebook at Myers Minute or Instagram, Michael Myers Minute. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a nice review if you like what you hear. If you really like what you hear you want to help me make it better, you can help me out by joining the Thorn Cult and donating through Patreon at patreon.com slash Minute.
Until next time. See you.